before we, um, uh, before we go any further, uh, f- just to catch some of you up, for those of you who haven't been with us for the last several weeks or if you're visiting with us today, um, for, the, for the better part of this semester, we've been working through a series called God Is. God is, and this is a series where we're talking about uh, different attributes of God and discovering who God is, and, and uh, in fact, for the last several weeks, we've had this board. I'm going to just kind of scoot this over so we can all take a look here. For the last several weeks, we've been asking each of you to stop by this board and write down, uh, just sort of in your experience, who God is to you, and so uh, you've done that, and, and so we, we have here, um, God is my shepherd. Uh, God is the reason. God is faithful. He's forgiving. God is home. I love that. God is home. And, and friends, that's, that's what we hope here at ACF, that you would find a place where you can call home. Because as we lift high God in the name of Jesus, that you would find a sense of belonging here. So I love that. God is my strength, my defender. Um, God is invested in me even though on my own I have nothing to offer him. Amen. Amen. On this side, God is my foundation. God is gentle. God is here. Amen. I pray that we feel that. We know that reality every week when we gather together as the people of God. We sense God's presence here. God is always running after me. We just sung about that just a few moments ago. Uh, God is my advocate. And so I, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, God is unconditional. I'd say amen to all of that, right? Like God is all of these things and, and so much more. And, and that's what this, sweet, this series has been about, reflecting on who God is. And, and, and we've been journeying through this. And so um, today we come to the final installment of the series as we wrap up the series neatly with a nice bow and uh, send it off. We're, we're going to be talking briefly about how God is love. I want to talk to you today briefly about how God is love. Now, before we dive into this particular topic, let me point out something to you that you may not have picked up on during the course of this series. There was a very intentional ordering of the series on my part. You need to know, friends... I didn't sit in my office and I didn't throw a bunch of attributes of God into a hat and sort of, sort of, you know, close my eyes and randomly pick them out and say, oh, this sounds good. I'll talk about this. You know, I didn't. That wasn't the process. There was a very intentional selecting and ordering of these particular attributes that we've been studying in these last several weeks. If you remember, we started off this series with the holiness of God and we established that God is Holy. We said that God is holy. And then we moved into the sovereignty of God and we acknowledge that God is sovereign. He is, this is who He is. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. And then last week we, we unpacked the justice of God using Micah chapter 6. We talked about how God is just. This is who He is. And today we're going to look at how God is love. Now, Friends, I could have very easily started off the series. In fact, the temptation was real to start off the series with the love of God. Because it's easy to talk about the love of God. I mean, who's going to sit here refuting the love of God? Like, I don't want to talk about the love of God. You know, like, we all, like, love of God. Yeah, even if I'm not a Christian, sure. Love of God, God is love. Cool, man, I could get on board with that. Like, love is good. God is, God is love. That's all good. But when we, when we stop to think about this, and, and understanding that no one's going to balk or scoff at the love of God, I think what tends to happen is these other attributes that we've been talking about, 
like the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the justice of God, they become a little bit harder to process. And so what do we do with them? We just don't talk about those parts of who God is. We just don't talk about how God is holy. I mean, who even uses that terminology today? God is, holiness is, is an archaic concept. The sovereignty of God, the justice of God, like that. Let's talk about the love of God. But the problem is when we throw that out the window, we only have a fraction. We only have a fraction of our understanding enlightened as to who God is. And so I wanted to give adequate airtime for those less than popular attributes of God. And hopefully those teachings were helpful to you if you were here for those. Additionally, I intentionally held off on talking about the love of God till the very end. Because when we weigh the less popular attributes against the more popular attributes, right? The love of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God. We all love that, right? Like we end up throwing the less popular attributes out the window because many of us have bought into what the Beatles have taught us. All you need is love, right? All you need is love. All you need is love. That's, I know that's not how the song goes exactly, but that, you get the point. We say all you need is love, so why talk about holiness? Why talk about sovereignty, the sovereignty of God? Why talk about the justice of God? Well, we need to talk about all of that because that's who God is. To see God only through the lens of love would be a grave injustice to the nature and the character of God. To see God only through the lens of love, we'd be seeing an incomplete picture of who God actually is. Now, with that said, I will say this. It is impossible to fully understand the holiness, the sovereignty, the justice of God, and the various aspects of who God is apart from the love of God. We just can't. We can't fully understand the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the justice of God, apart from understanding the love of God. The fact that God is love is a foundational piece of who God is. And so for the next several moments, I want to unpack this using a passage in Scripture in 1 John chapter 4. Surprise, surprise, we are not in the sixth chapter of an Old Testament book. We are in 1 John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, if you've got a smart device, take that out. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll have uh, some folks coming around and they can get one of these Bibles to you. If you're following along with us in these Bibles, we're on page 1023. 1023, it's all the way back, 1 John, all the way at the end of your Bible towards Revelation. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're looking here today. And we're going to pick up from verse 7. And we'll carry it through to the end of the chapter. And we'll also have the text up here on the screen if you'd like to look along with us that way. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. But with whatever version you have in front of you, uh, go ahead and follow along with us. And um, let's, uh, let's dive into what God has for us here through his word. First John, chapter 4, verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. This is John speaking. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. There is our basic premise for this morning. God is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love and perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, talking about Jesus, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but as we just sang just a few moments ago, perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So did you catch all that? Did you, did you get the drift of all that John was saying there? I, I mean, I, I want you to see this. I, this passage is saying a lot. And, and maybe halfway through, your eyes glazed over and you're like, uh, what is he saying? Uh, what, what, I can't, I'm not tracking. Well, th this passage is saying a lot, but it's saying a lot about one thing. And that one thing is love. It's love. In fact, the word love shows up 27 times in these 15 verses we just read. 27 times in just these 15, it's almost twice per verse. But the real question is, what is it saying about love? We know that the, the passage is saying the word love a ton, but, but what is it saying about love? More specifically, what does this passage teach us about the love of God? When we say that God is love, what in the world is this passage showing us? Well, by stark contrast to last week, where we only had one point, this week, we have six points. That's right. This passage shows us six things about the love of God. Now, listen, before you start having heart palpitations and you start looking at your watch, let me just say this, okay? Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each point. In fact, some of these points, I'm going to breeze through them rather quickly, but I think it's important that we highlight each of these points because each point leads us to a better, fuller understanding of the love of God. So ready to dive in? Yeah? Are you guys awake? Are we awake here? All right? Yeah? Okay. Come on now. I, it's, I, I need this. I am insecure, and I need the affirmation, okay? Just, just let me know that you're with me, you're tracking. All right, here we go. Point number one. The love of God leads us to truly knowing God. If you're taking notes down, you might want to jot this down. The love of God leads us to truly knowing God. Friends, verses 7 and 8 couldn't be more clear. There, is, there isn't any way to confuse what John is saying here in verses 7 and 8. Listen to what he says here. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Okay? We'll, we'll come back to that idea in just a minute. John goes on and he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and here it is, knows God. Okay? He knows God. And, and, and verse 8 he says, anyone who does not love does not, on the contrary, know God. He doesn't know God because God is love. 
This is one of the clearest points in Scripture that helps us understand the very nature, the character, and the essence of who God is. John says unequivocally, without skipping a beat, God is love. You see, friends, you got to understand that love is not just something that God does. Love is not just something that God feels towards us. Love is not just an emotion that God bubbles over with and he emotes. Love is the very essence of who God is at his core. You want to know who God is? Watch how he loves. Because in watching how he loves, you're going to have a better understanding of who God is. And so what John is saying here is, is it's simple. There's a connection point between the knowledge of God and the love of God. Friends, I believe many of us are here because at the end of the day, we want to know God better. I, don't, I, I want to assume the best in this room and say, you're not here because your parents told you to go to church on Sunday. My, my assumption here is you're actually sitting here in church week after week because you want to know God better. You want to know because you believe maybe Paul was right when Paul said, I count everything as laws when compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. Well, John says, you want to know God? You want to know who he is? Watch how he loves. Because in watching how he loves, you're going to discover who he is. And so in John's world, to know that God is love is to truly know God for who he is. He says, God is is love the love of god leads us to truly knowing god but would you know that in the very next verse in verse 9 john tells us just exactly how it is god loves us right we know that god is love we know that he loves us yada 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 okay but now how what does he show that love towards us verse 9 here it is in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was expressed, it was shown among us that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Friends, how many of you know you cannot find meaning and purpose in this life apart from Christ? There is no possible way for you to find meaning and purpose in this life, in this present life, apart from Jesus. It is only through Christ that you will truly find life. That's what we spent time last semester talking about, living my best life, right? That we actually live our best life when it's found in Jesus. That's what John is saying. God sent his son into the world so that through him we might live. In Christ we might find life. In verse 10 he goes on. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church family, the love of God not only leads us to knowing God, but the love of God is then fully displayed in Jesus. And that's the second thing we discover in today's passage. The love of God is fully displayed in Jesus. You want to know how God loves? You look at Jesus. You want to know how much God loves us? Look at Jesus. You want to look at all the different ways that God loves us, God loves you and me? Look at Jesus. Because the love of God is fully displayed in Jesus. You know, I, I try to do a lot of things for my wife that shows her that I love her, right? Because why wouldn't you? The people that you love, you want them to know that they are loved by you. And so one time for Christmas... 
I made her, I think it was Christmas or maybe it was Valentine's Day. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was her birthday. It's all a blur. 15 years into it, I'm like, I think, maybe. Um, the two kids later and all that. So uh, I think one of these holidays, I made her a coupon book. And in that coupon book, I made various coupons and uh, wrote these in that included things like a, a free 30-minute massage, right? Three, th- a 30-minute back massage. My wife loves back massages. She, she, she can sit. It, 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 her greatest love language would be getting a massage every single day of her life. I mean, that would be the most glorious thing in the world. Better than Jesus returning, a back massage every day, right? Like, that's, that's what, uh, or, you know, I included things like a, a free 40-minute foot rub, you know, like, and that, this was particularly helpful when, you know, she, had, uh, she was pregnant with our two kids. I mean, Ladies, I don't know what happens to your body when you get pregnant, but stuff changes, man. Like, you know, like her feet just became, it became shrekified. Like, that's like, boom, just blew up. And I felt like I'm, I'm massaging like a, a piece of steak here. What am I doing? Like, this is, this is now look, look, I'm making fun. You don't like, oh, oh, oh. She, she knows it. We joke around about it. I'm like, dang, sausage feet, right? Like, and so, so I'm, I'm so, so I do all these things. I include all these different ways that would translate to love in a world, a free date night, wherever you want to go, babe, whatever you want to do, I'll take you there. That's free date night. I don't call the shots. You call all the shots. And she'd be able to use these coupons at any given time. Of course, she would always want to redeem these at the worst times, the most inconvenient times, like after a long day of work or when I'm completely, utterly tired. But you know what? I did it anyway. Because I wanted to express my deepest love for her. You see, the way that God has expressed his love for us is not through a back massage or a foot rub or a free date night. He showed his love for us in the most significant, the most profound, the most sacrificial. I thought I was being sacrificial by giving her a 40-minute foot rub after a long day. I mean, that's not sacrifice. When you look at how God expressed his love for us in the most sacrificial way possible, John tells us right here in this passage, the way that he did that was by sending his one and only son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, what? <laughs> like, what? Wait, wait, okay, hang on, hang on. I, I, don't, I don't recall this in my SAT exams. Propitiation, what? Like, propitiation. Now, here's what this word propitiation means it means a kind of sacrifice that was offered. It was a sacrifice, it was an offering that was offered in the attempt, it was a specific purpose for it, in the attempt to appease or, or, or turn away the wrath or the, the judgment of God. And we talked about the justice of God last week. This was, this was in, 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 you know, a way to turn away the judgment of God. Now, this notion, you got to understand, church, this notion of appeasing God was not exclusive to the Judeo-Christian faith. In ancient pagan religions, in all ancient pagan religions, people would readily, regularly offer up all kinds of sacrifices in, a, in an effort to appease the gods, in an effort to, to turn away and, and to the, the wrath of their gods. It was a, a sort of a way of remaining in good standings with their gods. And they did that through these sacrificial offerings. But the difference between these pagan religions and Christianity is, in pagan religion. And any other world religion that you search, even here today, not just ancient but contemporary, there was no amount of sacrifices that was sufficient to truly appease the gods. In other words, it was an, it, this, this process of, of offering these sacrifices was an endless cycle of burning these offerings, 
hoping, fingers crossed, God's, you, are, you, are you pleased with me? Are we good here? Or am I, I going to be, you know, struck with lightning? And, and, and they would stay offering these sacrifices while never really knowing where they stood with their deities. It was this endless cycle. The Christian faith, on the other hand, flipped the script altogether. See, in Christianity, first of all, we're not the ones offering the sacrifice. God offered the sacrifice in Jesus. And because God offered the sacrifice, this is, this is paramount, because God offered the sacrifice, we can walk in confidence in full assurance, knowing that Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross is sufficient, is more than sufficient to turn away the wrath and the judgment of God against us. In other words, we don't ever have to sit around wondering, God, are you good with me? Are we good? We don't ever have to sit around wondering if we're in good standing with God. For those of us, listen now, for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus and have surrendered our lives to Christ, we can know with great confidence that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was enough. We don't have to add anything to that. We don't dare take away anything from that. It was more than enough. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was the all-sufficient final payment for our sins once and for all. There's nothing we can do to add to that. That's what John was talking about when he said, God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus was that sacrifice on our behalf. And this is how we know that God is love. Because when we gaze upon Jesus, and when we look upon the cross, we begin to see that the love of God was on full display fully expressed, without abandon, through the person and the work of Jesus. It's displayed in Christ. But now this passage shows us a third truth about God's love. And he challenges us with this reality. Now here's the third point. The love of God then calls us to love others the same. Calls, <laughs> he, calls, he calls us to love others the same. I mean, look... If you didn't catch this throughout the passage, you're either sleeping or you're reading from a different passage. I, I don't know how you could have missed this. Uh, because when you read through this passage, it's all over. Verse 7, verses 11 through 12, verses 20 to 21. I mean, John mentions it all throughout. And his message is simple. And it is simply this. If you claim to know this God of love, the proof of that is in your love for people. If you claim to know this God of love, this God of the Bible, this God that, that we profess belief in and we follow, we devote our lives to, if you claim to know this God of love, the proof of that, the evidence of that is in your love for people. Some of us do a great job at loving God, but a terrible job at loving people. Can, can, I, can I poke and prod here a little bit? Some of us love worship. We love coming together and worship team lead us in singing and song. And we love, the, you know, loving God is easy. Because God, you love me. I love you. We're a big happy family. Like, right, they, but, you know, but, but I mean, but, you know, kumbaya, let's just hold hands and sing. Like, it's all wonderful. Like, I love God. Like, loving God is not a problem. I love listening. I love going to church. I love listening to good messages. And I love singing good songs and all these things. But some of us 
are terrible when it comes to loving people. And John is looking out at across churches in his region, and he's saying, he's seeing the same thing, and he's like, something's off here. Something does not make sense. Because if you truly knew this God, if you truly knew that this God is a God of love, the evidence of that would be in how you love people. In other words, you can't claim with your lips that God is love and at the same time have no love for people in your hearts. You can't. It is illogical, theologically unsound. It is a violation to who God is if we were to live in that dichotomy. Do you want to know how well you know this particular attribute of God? We're talking about the love of God, right? Like, how will you know that you have a handle on this particular attribute of God's character and nature, the love of God? Well, ask yourself the question, how well do I love people? How well do I love people? And look, and I'm not talking about, like, your bestie, okay? I'm not talking about your, you know, the people that you like, the people that you vibe with, the people that you like, you know, like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people from a general scope of your life. When you look at, when people look at your life, when people look at you, the kind of person you are, is the first thing that comes to mind, oh, dang, they they love people. That dude, you can't get him to not love, he just loves people. And, And can I just make one more clarification i'm not talking about personality types this is not don't confuse this with being social being social does not mean that you necessarily love people there are a lot of people who who likes to hide behind being social so that they don't actually have to truly do the hard work of loving someone in the mess in the thick of their things that they're going through i'll just be social put a smile on my face hey how you doing you know small i'm not talking about that's not what john's talking about here So whether you're an introvert or extrovert does not mean anything when it comes to a heart that authentically and genuinely cares and loves for people. And so how well do I love people? Because according to scripture, the extent by which you love people reveals your true understanding of who God is. You might not really know who God is if you have no love for people in your heart. Hate to break it to you. You might have grown up in the church. You might have walked with Jesus for all your life, read your Bible every single day. But if you have no love for people, I'm not saying it. Scripture's saying it. You got to ask yourself the question do I really know God after all? Because the love of God calls us to love others the same. Number four, the love of God secures and deepens our relationship with God. Some of you know the late Eugene Peterson, he wrote the paraphrase uh, of the Bible, the message, and I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this part of scripture in, in the message. He takes verses 13 through 17. If you don't have the message, no problem, we'll put it up here on the screen. And he says it like this. He says, this is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him. How many of you want to live steadily and deeply in God? Amen, right? Like, that's, that's what I want for my life. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him, and he in us. He gives us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, 
We've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent His Son as Savior of the world. Again, the love of God is fully expressed and displayed through Jesus. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in this intimate relationship with God. We know it so well, we've embraced it heart and soul, this love that comes from God. Here it is again. God is Love, remember what we said a few weeks back, when there's repetition, it is emphasizing something of importance, of great significance. God is love. When we take a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, and it becomes at home within us and matures in us. So that we're free of worry on judgment day, for our standing in the world is identical with Christ. See, what that's saying, people of God, is that the love of God is what secures our relationship with God. You ever wonder, how's my relationship with God doing? Do any of you fret over that? It's like, how's my relationship with God doing? All right, like, you want to know how your relationship with God is doing? Go to the love of God. Keep coming back to the love of God. This, this passage is saying it is the love of God is what deepens our walk with Christ, our intimacy with Jesus. In the ESV, the, the passage that I read out of today, John uses the word abide, abide, abide. He keeps using that word a bunch of times. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. What is he talking about? The word abide, meno, means to stay, to remain, to be with. John 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Stay with me, remain with me, walk with me, be intimate with me and you will bear much fruit. Friends, you got to hear me. The only way to have an intimate relationship with God is to come to know the love of God. It is impossible to grow intimacy with your heavenly father if you don't know how much your father in heaven loves you. You can't. It is, it is virtually impossible to have a, a meaningful relationship with God, to grow in intimacy with your God, if you don't know how much your God loves you. Without that knowledge of God's love for you, all of this, what we're doing, it becomes empty rituals. It becomes dead religion. But when God reveals just how much he loves you, but once you come to truly know the love of God, not just from a cognitive standpoint, Trish mentioned this earlier when she was up leading worship, not just from a cognitive standpoint, but from a deeply experiential, emotional place where you feel it in your gut and you don't even doubt for a moment. No, 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 no. I'm loved by God. Ain't nothing going to rattle that belief. Nothing's going to rattle that confidence. When you know in that place, you'll find that your relationship with him secures and deepens to new depths and new heights like never before. I promise you, because the love of God has a way of securing and deepening our relationship with God. So if you ever sit around wondering, oh man, how's my relationship with God doing? How well do you know the love of God? How well do you know the love of God? Let me jump to the next point, point number five. We got just five and six to, to, to go through here. Point number five is this. The love of God always drives out fear. It always. It doesn't fail at that. 
it always, the success rate of this is 100%. God's love always drives out fear. I love what John says here in verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love. A perfect love casts out fear. Right, we've committed, some of us have committed that verse to memory. Perfect love drives out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you remember last week when we talked about the justice of God, right? We mentioned that a lot of us don't like talking about the justice of God. Because why? We automatically think of punishment. It's like, ah, punishment. I'm about to be punished for my wrongdoings. And so we don't, consequently, we don't like to talk about the justice of God. Because that's not how we want to see God. And I got news for you, friends. That's not how God wants to be seen by us. God doesn't want to be seen as the great punisher of our souls. No, he wants to be seen as the great lover of our souls. Not the one who punishes and dispenses punishment. Right, I got to tell you, when my kids do something wrong, you know, like my kids are, you know, they're getting older. You know, when they're little and they do something wrong, it's mostly by accident, right? It's not like they're trying to be bad, you know, like, but... I'll tell you what, you know, 8 and 10, you know, their sin nature starts rising up a little bit more clear, right? Like they start pushing the envelope just a little bit more. And so when they do something wrong, when they mess something up, there's always something in them that rises up and says, oh, don't tell dad. <laughs> don't tell dad because dad's going to get mad. Dad's going to get upset. Don't, don't, don't tell. In fact, they don't know. They're in the room. But I've heard them whisper to each other, don't tell as if, like, I don't know what they're saying, right? Don't, don't, don't tell dad. He's going to get mad. He's going to get upset. And, friends, just to clarify, I don't, I'm not like an abusive father, okay? So if you're wondering, like, what do you do in your home, Dan? Like, oh, they, they walk in such fear. No, 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 that's not, that has nothing to do with this, right? But, but there's something in them that rises up, and so they begin to tread lightly around me, and they be, they're careful around me in fear that they're going to get in trouble by big old scary dad. Sometimes I wonder if that's how we approach God. God, please don't be angry with me. God, I know I screwed up. I know I messed up. I know I haven't talked to you in a while. I know I haven't opened up my Bible in a while. God, please forgive me. I know, I've been, I, I know this is the first time sitting in church in years. God, please forgive me. I know I messed up. In fact, some of us feel like we can't even come near God until we've cleaned up our lives just enough to approach God and say, okay, God, I did all this stuff. Aren't you proud? Like all the wrongs I did, I made up for it. I did all these things. And then there's some of us that's just like, I don't even feel like I come near you, God. I can't just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You see, what this passage is teaching us is to know that, that to know the love of God means that we can approach God our Father without an ounce of fear. Without an ounce of fear, but rather with full confidence that we'll be warmly embraced. And in love, he will correct us. In love, he will set us on a better new path. If we come to him. A lot of us don't feel like we could come to the love of God because we got so much stuff. How can God possibly love this? No, this, this passage is a perfect love. It, it's like the love of God says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. You, don't have, you, you can come to me, and I'll, and I'll walk with you tenderly. I, I'm, I forget where it's, I'm gentle, right? Like, a, I will care for your soul gently. You can trust me. I'm a good, trustworthy father. Because the love of God always drives out fear. Now, there are some of you here today, the fear, fear plays a dominant role in your life. For some of us, you can, you can fill in the blank. 
I, I, I struggle with the fear of, you fill in the blank. The fear of, and some of us are so gripped and paralyzed by fear that most of us, when we wake up in the morning and we start our day, we start with fear driving the way. We start with fear kind of dictating how we're going to be how are we going to be going about the, the interactions that we have, the things that I need to do, the people that I'm going to meet and see? Fear becomes the dominant sort of voice in your life. Some of us are crippled, gripped by fear, worry, anxiety deep down in here. Friends, the antidote to fear is not courage. It is love. The antidote to your fear is not be more courageous, be bold. A lot of us think fear, the opposite of fear is, is, is boldness, courage. So, so how do you fight fear? Put on your bootstraps, you know, put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants and go conquer the day. Be bold, be courageous. No, 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 no. The antidote to fear, according to Scripture, is perfect love. It's love. When you are secure in the Father's love, you have literally nothing to fear. I know for some of us who struggle with fear, you can't even get your head wrapped around that because we've lived so long with fear driving the car of our lives. But what would it look like to be freed up from that? To be delivered from a spirit, an oppressive spirit of fear in our lives to say, you know what? I'm not going to be driven by fear. The antidote to that is the Father's love. It's the Father's love. Let me jump to this last point. You guys still with me? Still with me? You got room for one more? Thank you. Thank you. One person in the back. Cool. The love of God compels us to love God. This is the shortest verse in this passage, but it packs a great punch. John simply states in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved. The love of God compels us to love God. Friends, you ought to know that the inspiration behind the Christian faith the motivation for why we as Christians do the things that we do, why we gather like this in this manner week after week in Alumni Hall at 1030 every week. The why behind all of this what is right here. It's because God loved us. It's because God loved us that we gather together and worship like this in the first place. It's because God loved us that we sing songs of worship and praise to our God. It's because God loved us that we, that we raise our hands in worship and surrender to this God. It's because God loved us that we open up this book and we study out of it because we want to know more of who this God is. It's because God loved us that we gather together and we fellowship and grow together in community. You see, everything that we do in our lives as followers of this God, as followers of, of Jesus, is to become an expression of love that is motivated, that is inspired out of our understanding of God's love for us. We do all of this because God first loved us. Friends, if you don't get that, a lot of this of what we do, you're not going to get. Why we sing songs, you're not going to understand. You're just going to say, well, this is what Christians do, don't they? They just get together and sing songs. Christians must really like to sing. 
No. I'll tell you right now, some of you straight up can't sing. And some of you know. You know, you're like, I, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune for my life. But you know what? It's not about song. And you know that. If you've been walking with Jesus any length of time, if you know the love of God, you know that it's not about Christians like singing. Right? Like, like it's so much of what we do just won't make sense if the love of God does not make sense in your world. Why do we do any of this? Why does this, any of this become an expression of our love to God? Because he first loved us. He initiated all of this. It wasn't my idea to come together every Sunday morning and worship and sing songs and open up God's word. And No, 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 no. God is the one who initiated all this. He said, I want you to know how much you were loved. And out of that place of understanding and receiving his love, we respond. The love of God compels us. We can't help but to respond to the love of God with love. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. What do we do with a message like this? The question is, you know, with a message like this, you know, preached out of 1 John chapter 4 where John just says, he just says so much. And I, I mean, and, and even with my six points, it, there's probably a half dozen more things that I could have said on what John said. But, but what do we do with a message like this? You know, at our men's breakfast uh, yesterday, um, I'm not sharing anything confidential or anything like that, but part of the content piece of what we were talking about as men, specifically in the area of striving for sexual purity, but, but th- this can go across the entire board of life, is the secret to, well, I'll say this, the lie that I think a lot of us have bought into in Christianity or in our faith journey is, the key is you just got to try harder. You, you just got to try harder. You're probably not experiencing the love of God because you're just not praying enough. Or you're just not, you're not reading your Bible enough. And, and please, guys, hear me. I am a believer in prayer. <laughs> Every week on Wednesday night, we, we gather together as a church family in Frizzell Room in Pascarella Spiritual Center to do just one thing, and that's to pray. Because we believe that a praying church is, a, is, an, is an alive church, is, is a church that is alive. Churches that don't pray, more likely than not, are dead. They're dead. They might have numbers. They might have people showing up. But spiritually speaking, they're void. So I I believe in prayer. I believe in studying God's word. But some of us have bought into the lie that the secret to experiencing God's love is, I just got to try harder. Not doing enough. Not doing enough. And our culture is not helping in that either, right? Everywhere you look, it's like, hey, come on, man up, man. You got to do more. You got to try harder. It's because you're not trying hard enough. In fact, I grew up in a home with that, that being the message. You've got to try harder. The reason why you're not succeeding is because you're not trying hard enough. How many of you know that can be the most frustrating message to hear when you're giving your dang best, right? You're trying. You're trying with everything you've got. And then we hear messages like, oh, you've got to try harder. That is not how you experience the love of God. It's not. When you look all throughout the Gospels and all throughout Scripture, 
what you see is Jesus walking alongside people and saying, hey, do, do you believe? He doesn't say, hey, so did you go to the temple and offer your sacrifices today? How many? Two turtle doves? A goat? A young calf? What, I mean, what, what are we talking here? Qualitatively speaking? No, Jesus says, hey, I'm giving you this. Do you believe in it? You want to receive it? You see, the, Christ, the, the, the key to the Christian faith and receiving and understanding the love of God is simply this. this is, we talk about this all the time here in ACF, don't we? Open hands. God, I am here to receive. When we receive, God pours out. And when God pours out, it wrecks us. It changes us. The love of God becomes so real and manifest in our lives that we become different kinds of people. And it comes, this is, this is the first step right here. It's not about trying harder. It's not about mustering up all that's works. This is just, it's saying, okay, God, I'm going to stop it. I'm just going to receive. I'm going to receive. So today, can we do that as a church? Can we just say, God, I'm done with trying. I'm done with striving. I'm just going to come to receive.